Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of In the Fire. Uh, we're excited to have you here. We're glad you're listening to us. I am Peter Frafke, joined with my co-hosts, Justin and Thomas. Uh, how are you guys doing today? Thomas? Well, Peter, I'm doing quite well. <laughs> I'm ready to, to dive into the fire with you. I am well, already I like in the fire here. Uh, I guess Thomas is diving in now, but we're all here. We're all cooking. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but despite that, I'm also doing well. It's a nice morning here, a little chilly, but um, I'm inside and warm, so can't complain there. Are you by a fire inside? Unfortunately, no. Ah. I am in one in my heart, though. You can, you can <laughs> pull up a little... YouTube, look up fireplace. <laughs> I think we should do that every time we record. Oh, you know, everyone has to pull up a fireplace when we get going. I'm pulling up right now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, it's not as cold outside here, uh, but I can assure you, uh, it's nice and warm inside. It's also hot in the fire here, and we're ready to bring the heat. <laughs> All right. I like it. Yes. <laughs> All right, so we are uh, going to do an episode on Ecclesiastes. Um, it's one of my favorite books in the Bible. Uh, it's definitely brings some, uh, um, I don't know, some a, a very jagged, rocky viewpoint on on life here. Um, that takes a lot of, I think, a lot of digesting, and uh, I don't know. It's just. It's heavy. It's heavy stuff. I'll say that. Um, but anyways, we are going to start off with verse uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And I can go ahead and read that passage. All right. The vanity of life. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away, and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises, and the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it rose. The wind goes toward the south, and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually, and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run to the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been it, that which, that which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, "See, this is new; it has already been in ancient times before us"? There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. All right. Well. <laughs> That's the passage to start us off. Um, <laughs> what are your guys' initial thoughts on it? I think it's it's pretty pessimistic uh, right off the bat. Yeah, on the surface, it certainly seems that way. Um, and I think reading the whole thing, the the very first sense to get an, an overarching reading read over here is that there's this. It's almost confusing and sad, and to a certain level, frustrating to me reading this. Um, and I think that is almost the nature of this chapter is almost a perfect representation of the restless heart, mind, soul that we have as humans in this world. 
um, living lives apart from God. You know, I think mm-hmm. my Bible mentions that it's it's likely Solomon writing this, and he's writing this to maybe answer some questions being asked of what is the purpose of life. And I think you get almost a sense of he's asking these questions here, but trying to approach it and show that without God, it's going to be like this. Um, and it's kind of difficult to read to a certain extent. Yeah, I think one of the things I like about, or one of the things I find really interesting about some of these books from the Old Testament is that <laughs> these writers, I mean, there's a lot of speculation. This is Solomon, so we can go with that. There's a lot of, um, but in the Old Testament, writers such as Saul, like Solomon and then David and Psalms, um, they're kind of just pouring out their feelings and just their, mm. their, um, I don't know, just all these worries that they have about the world, uh, their thoughts about like the purpose of life. There's very deep things that they're uh, very candid about um, as they're seeking answers and they're frustrated. Uh, you can see this, this thread of dread um, and worry that just permeates these first 11 verses here. And uh, luckily it's not the whole book the whole rest of the Ecclesiastes is not exactly like this. I mean, there's some, uh, some more hope that comes into a later, but, uh, off the bat and on the surface, you can see that, uh, Solomon is struggling with a lot of things and he's trying to come to grip with them as he seeks answers. Yeah, for sure. I think like as pessimistic as this passage might be, I think a lot of it rings true in like life all the all throughout life and to today um like you look at verse three what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun it's like what do we gain from our work here (laughs) it's like we're just so many people seem to just go to work do their work come home go to bed rinse repeat and that's a it's a boring life it's a it's a boring monotonous life and you can go to eight. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor nor the ear filled with hearing. And we can kind of see that through Netflix and whatnot and Hulu and all these streaming platforms where people are just constantly tearing through material. And they're just like, I need something to get my mind off everything else, so I'm going to go watch something. But it's never enough. And so they binge it. And then they finish this TV series. Well, now I need another one. And it it feels meaningless to just binge endlessly. Um, It feels meaningless to just go to work every day. Like, what is the purpose? What am I doing here? Um, It's very pessimistic. And it's very true, I think. Because without without greater purpose in life that that we, we set our eyes upon or our goal for us to shoot for, we, we feel lost in this life. Like, if we're not trying to do something, then what are we doing? And I think that's evidence of, of us being apart from God and sin because we were made to work. We were made to glorify God. And so when we don't work and we don't glorify God, we don't have a purpose and we don't have a purpose. 
were just like cats sleeping around and eating. And they're just... (laughs) (laughs) And that's like not what we want. We want to be working for God because God is our purpose. And in God, we have purpose, especially in our life. And it's not necessarily the work that we do with our bodies, but the work that we're able to do through people's hearts. Yeah, I think you're getting to the heart of this chapter here and the book in general. And I, from what it looks like, we'll be getting to a lot of this later, but there's a <clears throat> heavy contrast between what we read here, which is Solomon exploring kind of life here on earth without God. And this is what it looks like. And I'm sure we've all had those moments before when, you know, you're going to school all day, you're going to work all day, you're coming back home and you kind of sit down and you think, man, what, what's the point of all this? Like, what, what am I doing here with my life? Um, Mm -hmm. And when you're apart from God, these are the questions that you ask and what you read here is kind of what you experience. You can't quite describe it. Um, Verse eight, man cannot express it. You know, it's something that we can't fully grasp. Like, why am I feeling this Mm -hmm. restlessness and anxiety about like why my life is not, does not mean anything. Why do we keep feeling that? Um, But then, then I think again, we'll cover this later on also, but the contrast to, well, he's writing this because it's describing life here without God and what we feel. But there's another side where once you experience life with God, you start to see the flip side of this and all of this starts to kind of get a purpose. Um, so I, I think the, the chapter is not saying, you know, in general, life is meaningless. Um, it's just trying to point out, and this is Solomon exploring, beginning his exploration of, of life and life's purpose. And right now he's settling on life without God, where I think he's, if we had more time to continue reading all of this book, um, I think we'd get the other side of that more optimistic side maybe mm-hmm. yeah and i want to uh make a few few definitions here that um i'll of some phrases that i'll use that we'll use through the rest of the study but one is the under the sun reality that justin you were talking about um sort of things that are, are the fallen world i guess or our, our view of earth without taking into account god and heaven just the the secular understanding of uh, earth and uh, and life and just the secular things that come with that. And then there's the over the sin reality, which is our life on earth and our future security in heaven. When we do take into account uh, God in heaven and put everything into perspective, the perspective of knowing God and knowing that uh, God is in control over all things and created all things. And then another important, important word to define, I think is the vanity that uh, is mentioned throughout throughout the book um i think it's it can be viewed more as the word vapor uh which is which is that the things on earth that don't last that are here one minute and gone the next um and so i think that through these first 11 verses that solomon he's on the right track he's not we've not really he's not really mentioned god much yet so we we just focusing on this under the sun reality and he's saying and he's recognizing that all these things of the world are vapor that they don't last they'll come and go come one day gone the next come one generation gone the next our lives we're 
go we're born and then we go into the same ground as all the animals um eventually like I don't know, just amounting to nothing just turning back into soil i guess and it's important that solomon gets to this point because he recognizes oh without god all these things are kind of pointless um, and i think that's important for him to recognize but it's also not uh it's not the final destination and we'll get into that through the next the next passage that we'll look at. Um, but he's on the right path, I think. Yeah. And uh, recognizing that there's so many things that are pointless apart from God. I, I completely agree with you. And I think it's important for the duration of how, what we're looking at here for this chapter. And then when we flip on to Ecclesiastes three later, um, that we don't necessarily look at this from the lens of, so the writer here is saying that all of this is meaningless. So let's be depressed that it's all meaningless. I think what's more important is to look at it from what can we learn from what he's saying here. Yes, he's saying that apart from God, all of this loses a lot of its purpose. But from that, we can learn that with God, it regains that purpose. And we kind of start to see that hope. And the, I think you mentioned the word perspective, which I think is great. Um, We start to see this more eternal perspective to things and that changes. So that's what we need to take away from it. So rather than, and I think it can be easy to get caught up reading these verses. Again, it's it's sad to read them. It can be depressing, but I think it's more important to focus on what we can draw out of it and what we can learn from kind of a depressing reality, in a sense. Yeah, and I think this is, like, if people just, and I know this happens with a lot of people in the world today, they'll, they'll get to this realization that, oh, what's the point of doing all this stuff if we just die anyways? And then another person will live and die and generations will come and go. And what's the point of doing work and finding meaning in work and uh, getting education and stuff like that and gaining wisdom if it all just comes to pass in this, in this, just this cycle of life. And I think, stopping there and not taking it a step further as you Justin, you mentioned that we'll do um, is what drives people to cynicism, escapism, like Thomas, I know you mentioned escapism through like binging Netflix or whatever and trying to Mm -hmm. uh, like, I don't know, take their mind off all this meaninglessness of life by just uh, becoming swamped in just more meaningless Netflix binging and et cetera. And then I also think a lot of the nihilists that you see who just think that there's no point in anything, no belief, like that there's nothing to believe in, uh, gain a lot of their reasoning based off of these first 11 verses before diving deeper. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So shall we dive deeper? I think Let's we keep shall. going. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, so, Justin, do you want to read verses Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 4, and 12 through 13? I will gladly do that. I have it right here. So here we go. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 4. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. 
And then moving on to Ecclesiastes 3, 12 and 13. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. All right. Thank you, Justin. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think this, I think this shows that, uh, that to all these, like all these meaningless cycles that Solomon was uh, pondering in verses 1 through 11, he comes to the realization that, oh, that God has a purpose for all mm-hmm. these things and that there's, there's a time and place for them. Uh, and then that we can find, um, uh, yeah, yeah. I'll just stop there for now. <laughs> yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I think we kind of start to see him transitioning to that hope that he feels 12 and 13. And also every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor It is the gift of God. And I think you look at this idea of life as a vapor. So the vanity meaning vapor, um, which Peter, I'm glad you brought that up. And you very much get that sense in Ecclesiastes 1, where it's talking about all these things in creation that, you know, to us, he's pointing out, the, again, the meaningless of it without God. And, you know, wind goes toward north and south and towards north, it whirls about continually. Rivers run to a sea, the sea is not full. Um, to the place for which rivers come, they return again. All things are full of labor and um, pointing to our lives. And I think it's important that we recognize the gift, even that it is, even if it is a vapor, um, and 13 points to that, that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. Um, Solomon, I think, is getting at the idea that life passes so quickly. Um, and it is important to see our time here as a gift. And if we don't, then we'll kind of fully experience the pain and almost agony that we feel reading chapter one. Um, so I think verses 12 and 13, that's something really important to note. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whereas the sinister nihilist finds agony in verses 1 through 11 because they uh, see these things without the over the sun reality or taking into perspective of where God is, where God is in all of this and that God is over all of this. Um here Solomon does begin to transition towards that uh, taking into account this over the sun reality, seeing the things of this earth with the perspective of, oh, God is sovereign over this. He's in control of it, in control of over, over all of this, and he has a purpose for all of it. And that knowing that uh, everything is from God, that we can enjoy the gifts of God, even if they're fleeting, like we can enjoy, you know, food and company with others and drinking uh, uh, in moderation, I guess. Um, but we can enjoy <laughs> them as, as gifts of God, uh, knowing, that, knowing where they're sourced from. Yeah. I definitely think that in 1, 1 through 11, it... You're right in saying that it is as pessimistic as it is because there's God isn't even mentioned once in in that passage. And here, 
we see that things have purpose because God has given them purpose. And so when we do the things for God that he has a purpose for, we are then given purpose. And in, in that work, we can take, we can, we can take solace and be joyful with God and, and eat and drink and take pleasure in all, all this toil. You know, we are able to, to have God's gift of a purpose because he has given us purpose. We each have work to do on this earth and it's not fleeting work and it's not vapor work because we're doing it for God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It gives us, uh, these verses start to give us a proper sense of how to view the things that are vapor and that will disappear. Um, and another thing, I wanted to bring up is that uh, my pastor at my church has said this before to give you a, like to understand how um, how attached you are to the things of this world and the things that are vapor. Uh, he's he's encouraged us to ask the question: If God took these things from you, how would you react, and how distraught distraught would you be? Uh, will it undo you if all these things that He can onto this life um, suddenly God takes away from them? or takes them away from you. Um, how do you think you guys would react in those situations? Or what do you think the, the proper response is to that? I mean, I, I don't know how I would react. I would assume that, you know, as my, my initial response in nature would point to them and say, oh, how unfair this is. You know, this can't be happening. Why are these things happening? Why is everything being taken? I would hope, though, um, that I would react in a in a much better way. And I think the best example we have of that um, in the Bible that I've come across is in the story of Job, where I don't think there's a better um, story where we see everything being taken from someone who is very righteous, um, who honors God, who lives his life for God. Um, so... For anyone listening, if you're not familiar with the story of Job, um, it is about a God-honoring man with a family and um, good wealth, and his life is going well, and he lives his life for God. And then throughout the whole book, at the start, we see this is pretty much all taken from him. Not because God takes it from him, but because God more allows it to happen um, and allows the devil to take it. He allows Satan essentially to take this and says, I trust that Job will remain righteous to me. And the whole book is Job kind of going back and forth about and, and grappling with this new reality where everything's been taken. Um, and he uses actually in when Job is speaking here in verse in, in chapter seven, he uses the word vanity, the same word that is used in Ecclesiastes to describe um his life, how it's a vapor and it's passing and he's kind of starting to understand this. And then in chapter nine in Job is just one of many examples of where he is then turning to God and bowing um, and talking about God's righteousness, God's greatness, God's creation uh, and God's purpose for everything. And yes, he knows that what is happening is unfair. He knows he's not really done anything wrong. He's sinful, but he's not you know, um, being punished by having all this taken from him, but rather 
that it is God and his power still allowing this to happen. And he's recognizing that. So I think that's hope. That's how I hope I'd respond. Not sure I'd actually be able to. Um, Job loses his family, his uh, pretty much his entire life around him, his livestock, his home. He, it's all gone. Um, so I'm not sure I'd be able to respond the way that he does, but maybe I hope I would. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you, Justin. Um, but to go a little bit further in Ecclesiastes 3, 3, 6, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. Um, I think just knowing that God is the God who gives and takes away is a really good way to approach life because... He, he gives us everything that we have and we should be grateful for that and we should love that and give glory to him because he's given us so much. But also, we need to recognize that when he takes things away, he's still giving us things <laughs> in a way. It's like, maybe we don't like necessarily need that thing in our life because it was, it was, it was keep taking our gaze away from God and so he takes it away. And through that, you know, we might at first feel like, why would you take something so important away from me? I don't understand. But then a little bit further down the road, we start to see God's plan. But we can never see it in the moment. We see God's plan. We're like, oh, wow, I'm so glad that God took that out of my life because now I'm closer to him and I'm closer to living a more Christ-like life. Um and it's just, so just realizing that when things get taken away from you is also God giving you something. Because the, the only thing that like really we need to care about in life is getting closer to God. Which is, <laughs> and by doing that, um, the Holy Spirit is in, comes inside of us and we are sanctified and become more Christ-like. And through that, we go out into the world and love on every single person ever. And so we, it's, it's going to be hard for us to love on every other person when we're too busy loving the things around us that are vapor. Yeah. Yeah. That's an awesome point that you brought up. I think it's really relevant with, uh, this whole coronavirus era. Um, in that, you know, when this pandemic hits in March and April, everything's canceled. Uh, can't go to school. Can't can't go out to the stores. Can't buy these things. Can't go to. Can't have all these experiences that you were planning on having and that you just took for granted. Um, I th- I think that's a just a, a a solid example of of God taking things away from us. Um, and that mm-hmm. is something that we are all dealing with currently. Um, like none of us planned for this and none of us would have wanted this. But at the same time, uh, when God takes these things away from us, these gifts that he has given us, they, that he then takes away, um, it also teaches us, I think it's also an important lesson of what's really important. Um, and I think that's one of the things I've grappled with through this whole past seven, eight months um, is that, okay, if these things are taken from me, uh, what do I do next? How do I respond? Um, and I think yeah. God is teaching me, oh, put put your eyes on 
fix your eyes on what's more important mm-hmm. than this. Um, if I take these things away from you, uh, which a lot of things that he, he has taken away from us all, uh, like how will you respond? And I think it's understanding that God is seeing over all these things and that he has a purpose behind taking these away, these things away um, is really important. And I think it's, I, I know it's definitely uh, helped me grow closer towards Christ uh, through this time. Yeah, I think that's Amen. an excellent point there. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, let's see. What else do we have? Okay. Yeah, I wanted to bring up Ecclesiastes 2, verses 24 through 26 real quick. Um, uh, this is this sort of just to strengthen and solidify this point of of work and meaningful work. Uh, So 24, nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. For who can eat or who can have enjoyment uh, more than I? For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight. But to the sinner he gives the work of gathering, collecting, that he may give to him who is good before God. This also is vanity and grasping to the wind. Um, and so I think this, this shows a picture of meaningful work and then also meaningless work to the sinner, um, who he mentions in verses 26. Um, I think what he's talking about here is... Uh, what work was like after the fall of Adam and Eve and that we're pretty much cursed to work and not enjoy any of it. Uh, and we've seen this, I think this is in, mentioned in Proverbs too. Um, and that, that was, that was what the purpose of work was. It was kind of a form of punishment. Um, but then with God and with Christ, we can gain more, more purpose in work knowing that, uh, no type of job or career that we chase after is going to be the ultimate source of our happiness or our meaning since it is vapor. Um, but having secured undepletable joy in God changes our perspective on work and less as a curse and more as a, a blessing and an opportunity from God, knowing that it's not a condition for our happiness or meaning, but that uh, it's something that, that God provides us to do. Yeah. Um, and I think, again, that points to the the contrast between life without God, life with God. Without God, uh, you go to work every day, you come home every day, you go to work, come back, um, and you get that meaningless feeling again, that, again, we've all felt, I'm sure. But with God, you kind of start to see mm-hmm. that there's more to it. Even if, Even in a world where, say, your job is incredibly monotonous, incredibly boring, um, you're not enjoying it. You're just caught in this lull kind of, or maybe just your daily life, maybe your school, maybe you're feeling stuck. With God, there is still hope that you are living out this greater purpose despite what it is you're doing. You still have an opportunity to reach those around you, to reach out to them in love and in peace and in hope. Um, And you still have an opportunity to experience what God is providing you. You have access to this whole other world outside of what we have in this life. Um, And even then the most incredibly boring things of this world are put into a new light. Um, And a light that is just 
so incredibly bright that we can't help but overflow that into whatever we do. So yeah, you can still go around not enjoying your daily life um, in a worldly sense, but you realize that there is a greater eternal arc to all of it. And I think that's what the, the hope is getting at, um, you know? Yeah. yeah. I like that. The fact that like our job might not be the work that will bring us joy, but rather working on the people around us and with them. Yeah. You start to see there's a purpose for everything um, rather than not a purpose for everything, which we see in a life without God in Ecclesiastes one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Man, life with God is just so much better than life without God. It is. Yeah, and I think Ecclesiastes... <laughs> it's a simple way to put it. <laughs> I think Ecclesiastes is a great example of that. Yeah, yeah and for, and for well Solomon said. here, who, you know, really has more wisdom than anyone to ever walk the earth almost. Um, the fact yeah. that he is the one saying this, I think, makes it even more important. Um, you know, he has all the knowledge and wisdom that he's gathered up not only from God, but also as King, also through his life experiences. And he's still saying, I know all of this that the world has to offer. And yet it is still not satisfying. Um, And I want to bring up a quote here from C.S. Lewis. Uh, It's a a short quote, but I think it speaks a lot to what we hear in Ecclesiastes. So he says, I believe this is from his book, Your Christianity. Um, But he says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And I think that kind of speaks to everything that we're discussing in this world, a world under the sun, without God, we're not going to be satisfied by what we find here. Um, So the purpose of life, then there's only one, as he says, logical explanation to it is that we're not made to live solely in this world. Um, we're made for a much greater, as, as Peter brought up kind of, Oh, it's over the sun world. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Something cool that is in a footnote here is that God is referred to as Elohim throughout uh, Ecclesiastes like more than 30 times and when you invoke Elohim when you when you name God you are emphasizing God's absolute sovereignty mm-hmm. over everything and I think that plays in, into what we're talking about as well because if God is absolutely sovereign over this world then he is the one who's assigning us purpose in our work and assigning purpose in everything in this world and all the times to do things, which is cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. I also yeah. think, um, and actually, Thomas, I think that's really cool. The because my Bible brings that up too. Um, the fact that he's referred to as Elohim here, um, and what is it rather than Yahweh, which we see in a lot of the Old Testament, um, where it's referring, yeah, to the relationship mm-hmm. with God and Israel most. But here, it's Elohim is that sovereign sense. Um, So I think that's really neat that you brought that up. Um, And it goes to that, again, eternal perspective. He is sovereign over all of it. And he is what makes this world worth something, even if we're here shortly. Um, And I think this is something we need to be very thankful for. 
is that eternity that we have that goes beyond this world, you know? Um, so life mm -hmm. is described as a vapor um, quickly passing. And then, so that's why it can be deemed pointless. But, you know, on the flip side, what if life was not really a vapor? What if we had to kind of live on this earth for an eternity? This is just kind of me brainstorm thinking here. Um, and you read chapter one, and it goes again to that even God's creation, it carries on. And without uh, God's creation under the sun, without him, the rivers keep running. The sea keeps filling and emptying and, and filling again. The wind keeps blowing. <clears throat> All that has been done before will be done again. You know, if we were to be around for an eternity here, we would really start to see that life without God on this earth, as beautiful as it may be in some places, is really incomparable to what we would receive in heaven. Um, and I brought up C.S. Lewis earlier. Quickly, I want to bring up J.R.R. Tolkien, who's the author of Lord of the Rings, um, one of C.S. Lewis's best friends. Um, mm -hmm. And in the prequel book to all of it, the Silmarillion, um, Tolkien describes kind of the creation of his Middle Earth, of his world. And it's very similar to what you see in the Bible. Um, I would recommend anyone read it. It's just real interesting and you start to learn a lot. But one thing that I've always thought is cool is in creating in the Lord of the Rings universe, elves and men, the God in these books who creates the world, it is described as him giving a gift to men to allow them to die. And elves, it says, yes, it is mm. a gift for them to live eternally but it is also a curse for them to live eternally because they're kind of stuck in this world. And it actually says in the Silmarillion, um, the God who creates it all has not revealed his purpose for life after death, but considering that he describes it as a gift to have that death and not be stuck in this world forever. Um, you have to imagine that there's something in the Lord of the Rings realm, similar to Tolkien's design there, similar to what, is the design of this world and our lives where once we do pass from this earth, well, you know, we don't have to live here eternally and experience the monotonous nature that continues to happen without God down here. Um, but we get to go be with God eternally. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. that is just awesome. <laughs> Um, but yeah, imagine, imagine that being an elf or just the hypothetical example of earth lasting forever everything would seem so meaningless um, if everything just goes on and on and on and there's no purpose for anything. Um, that's you why start, nobody yeah, likes you start to learn everything. You can travel everywhere, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> constantly see everything, but without heaven, without meeting God and living with him eternally, it's just not going to be that ultimate satisfaction that we're all seeking. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where yeah, that's where meaning is found. Knowing that God um, has put you know a, a limit on our lives, um, and that uh, yeah, that's where. But He also has a purpose for it, and you know we'll die someday, but we have this eternal hope, this over the sun reality in heaven, and that uh, that really is is what gives our life meaning here on earth, as opposed to. <laughs> if there was no God and 
life just and earth just went on forever. Very true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, does anyone have any closing points? Uh, I think, I mean, I think we've been hitting some, some tremendous, uh, tremendous points and examples that tie everything up. Uh, but does anyone have anything else to add? I want to hit one more I thing. So. I just closed my Bible, so I'm going to have to open this back up again to Ecclesiastes. Um, <laughs> so I, I think I mentioned briefly at the start that this book, the way I read it, read about it, is that it's kind of Solomon exploring the meaning of life. He starts with, without God, it's all this. But he transitions to, with God, you can get so much more. And my Bible actually recommends in the little introduction to Ecclesiastes, reading the very end of it, um, to get what Solomon is, his main point is. So the very last verses mm. in Ecclesiastes twelve, thirteen, and 14, he writes, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. I guess the whole book. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So his ultimate conclusion is that we are to fear God and keep his commandments. Fear, have this reverence and respect and awe for God. Um, And that will then drive our own lives, our own hearts, souls, and minds to fully grasp the opportunity that we have in this fleeting amount of time that we have on this earth. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that speaks to Proverbs a lot. And in Proverbs 1, it goes over the paradox of wisdom and how wisdom is derived from having fear in God. And through that fear in God, God will give you more wisdom and then you'll have more fear of God. So it's that awe and reverence of God which bestows wisdom upon us. Yeah. And then there's Solomon, (laughs) who is one of the most wise people ever saying that. In his yeah. conclusion in Ecclesiastes, we should fear God and keep mm-hmm. his commands. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah, I really like the I really like that structure of Ecclesiastes. I didn't know that it was bookended like that. Um that's yeah, cool. that's powerful. All right, well I can go ahead and close this out in a quick prayer. Let's do it. Um yeah. All right. All right. Uh so, Dear God, thank you for just this tremendous opportunity to make this uh, podcast and learn learn more about you by studying your work with alongside uh, Justin and Thomas. I pray that we just gain this over-the-sun perspective on life and on earth and that, we, that you would constant, constantly remind us of uh, just your existence and your control and your sovereignty over everything, God. And that through that, God, that we have meaning, uh, knowing that we have a a future eternal salvation in heaven. Um, So, God, please just help us not become discouraged at the things of this world that can seem so futile and pointless. uh, But rather, may they gain meaning and our life on earth gain meaning through knowing you. And may we recognize that more and more each day. Uh, In your name I pray. Amen. 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 All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to everyone who stayed with us through the end of this podcast. Uh, We hope you enjoyed it and we're 
very thankful for you guys. That we are. Go find your meaning in yes. life this week. <laughs> in God. Through God, yes. In God. Yes. <laughs> Through God. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thank thanks, you. guys. Great topic, Peter. Yeah, thank we'll you. See you Catch you week. back here next week. <laughs>